It's the American Gothic Press Podcast. Hello, comic book fans, and welcome to episode zero of the American Gothic Press Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Hathaway, creative marketing manager for AGP. You may remember me from the Famous Monsters podcast as the idiot producer in the background. Well, now I'm the idiot producer for the American Gothic Press podcast. I'm moving up in the world. Now, I know what you're thinking. Episode zero? It's because while we're planning on releasing the first episode in a few weeks, we wanted to treat you to a recording of our panel at WonderCon this past month. Joining me on the panel was Philip Kim, publisher, Holly Innerlandy, the editor-in-chief, Tom Reardon, and Nathan Gooden. They're the creative team of Killbox. And you'll notice me stumble on the names in the beginning. Also, Tom is a big guy who could probably kill me three different ways before my body hits the floor. And I screwed up his name. Yes, I is smart. I'd like to apologize ahead of time for the audio quality. It wasn't ideal. There's laughter from the panel that was next to ours throughout, so unfortunately you'll hear little bits of it every now and then. But stay the course, dear listener! We talk a little bit about the origin of American Gothic Press and our first wave of titles, and we then talk a little bit about Killbox and end with some special announcements for our upcoming series. If any of the series in particular sounds tasty to you, and believe me, you can't just read one... Head on over to CaptainCo.com for every issue of every series. And if you prefer digital, we're also available on Comixology.com. Now, enough of me rambling. Let's talk comics! So, joining me on this panel is our Editor-in-Chief, Holly Innerlandy. Yay! Oh! <laughs> our uh, founder and publisher, Philip Kim. And then uh, the writer for our upcoming seri- series, Killbox, uh, Nathan Reardon. Tom Reardon. Because they're together, they come together. Uh, our artist for the series, Nathan Gooden. We're flexible, we're off to a good start. So, uh, let's hear a little bit from our founder, Philip Kim. Where did this idea to start a comic book imprint come from? I mean, you're doing monster magazines for a long time. Why then just, okay, why go the comic book route? Uh, well, you know, I mean, if you know anything about Ford, he, um, and Jim Moore, um, they, they were very passionate about telling stories, and um, they didn't tell a lot of stories, but when they did, they were good. They were exceptional. Uh, you know, Bambarella, Creepy, there was a whole host of other stories that uh, never actually, you know, became as, as big as they were. But, um, you know, these guys are storytellers. And, um, you know, the magazine uh, was their first passion, of course. Uh, but, you know, they, they broke a lot of ground. Um, and since then, I mean, I, I don't really think that... There's a, there's a ton of great horror comics out there, for sure. Uh, but I don't think that there's any no horror and science fiction, but there's no specific imprint that focuses on, on this uh, genre. And I, I just felt that it was very, very important to uh, create something that kind of, you know, brought Forey's legacy together. So. And so the, the imprint actually was founded March 4th, 2015. So it's been one year, and we have all these amazing titles under our belt so far. But uh, going back to the beginning phases, how did you, how did Holly, how did you come into the picture? 
How did you become the editor-in-chief? Um, I was actually editor of the magazine for a while, and um, my, I guess, I was covering comic books a lot, and so I knew a lot about comic books, and um, when we when we did the spin-off, American Gothic Press, um, it, it was basically, it just, it just made sense. Um, I just hopped from the magazine to the comic books, and it's, it's different, you know, but I, I love it. I could ask for a better job. I just want to jump in. Part of the uh, part of the reason I got the nerve to actually do it was uh, because of Holly. She had such an incredible knowledge of uh, bad. Uh, she has such an incredible knowledge of um, of comics. Um, she, you know, not only is she a connoisseur and a consumer of it, but she um, is also a writer of it. And um, we had talked for while she was editing uh, Famous Monsters um, for a while. Um, we had talked extensively about launching a, a comic company and you know, it's not one of those light things that you think about hey, I, I think I'll you know have sushi tonight and then launch a comic book company so I, <laughs> I felt I felt empowered um, after having extensive conversations with Holly over uh, a long period of time so yeah and so first couple of titles right out the gate uh, thanks to writer Paul Tobin uh, was born home and then gun suits so why did you start, like, in those genres? Because, like, with American Gothic Press, we have, like, horror, we have fantasy, we have sci-fi. Like, kaiju comic, right out the gate. What was the inspiration for that? Not me? Yeah. I Well, you know, I, I was one of these kids that always kind of drifted off. Um, I, I, I think I suffer, I've never been diagnosed, but I think I suffer from ADHD. And so while I can focus on my algebra, I'm always drifting off into some story. Like when I would watch um, uh, one of my favorite films, uh, Road Warrior, you know, I used to always think, That's not, the leather was pretty shiny. Like, I wonder how it would be if we, you know, if it was actually a real post-apocalyptic uh, world. And so, you know, oftentimes I, I try to create my own world and, you know, as a kid, you just think there's nobody interested in listening to your version of anything. So, um, I had just a library of, of stories and little vignettes that I would see, or I would listen to music, and the music would kind of inspire me to, you know, imagine what that musician was thinking of when they were writing their, um, but so anyway, so, you know, I would get like these random ideas, and I just kind of string them together, and, um, and so, Born Home um, was, uh, I thought to myself, initially the story was that what if there were no aliens? What if um, all, all aliens that we see were some deviation or variation of an ancient colony long, long time ago, like the Battlestar Galactica? And I thought to myself, well, if you were to colonize separate planets, they would have different, you know, slightly different uh, gravitation they would have slightly different atmospheric pressures, and you would definitely have to uh, alter your genes a bit to survive there. And so that's how I started kind of formulating that story. Godsuits was just um, from a short story that I wrote called uh, uh, Wormhole. And again, I thought to myself, what if there are no, um, you know, what, what if like, like I was 12 years old and, and someone had told me the, the theory that by the time you see the lights in the skies or, or the stars in the skies, they are 
most likely dead. And so I, I thought, you know, space travel would be very difficult if you're going to a three-dimensional space and all these planets are, or all these star systems are dead. So I thought to myself, well, what if these are not actually three-dimensional spaces? What if they are, kind of like the butterfly effect, what if they are versions of our universe that changed slightly? Like if you left your home 10 minutes later, that would create a whole other thread that would create a different reality. And so, um, Wormhole was kind of that idea, and then I thought to myself, well, um, I love mechs, so, you know, throw that into the mix, and you find out that the aliens that are invading through these wormholes are not from, uh, you know, a distant space, but perhaps uh, a variation of human evolution that uh, went very, very differently. And um, instead of using uh, minerals and, and dirt and hard materials, they long ago, uh, you know, some violent strain of human culture took over and they just started early on experimenting on human beings, on each other, um, to create kind of like this, this uh, bio-mex and, and technology that had to deal with flesh and, and, and bones. And so that's, that's how I came up with it. Gunsuits was actually a very, very good title to lead with, to lead with because the, uh, the, the log line is just giant robots versus tentacle monsters. <laughs> he doesn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> that too. Yeah. And then shortly after, I mean, keeping with the post-apocalyptic theme from uh, from Bornholm and whatnot, you had another title that shortly came, uh, came out shortly after was Broken Moon. And that was written by you and Steve Niles and illustrated by the, the amazing Nat Jones. So, like, how did Steve come into the mix? Because, I mean, you know, Steve Niles, freaking 30 Days of Night, like... Yeah, Steve's actually an old friend of mine. Um, I've known him forever and ever since yeah. I first moved out to L.A. I think we met at a... At like the LA Times book fair or something, and he was signing he was signing copies of his Cal McDonald book. Um, and uh, when I when I mentioned that we were doing a new imprint for Famous Monsters uh, comic books, um, he he right away jumped in and said, "Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd love to I'd love to do a story with you guys." Um, and we we took him right away because I mean all you have to I mean all you have to do is say Steve Niles, and people would go, "Oh, Thirty Days a Night." And you know a whole bunch of other great things. Um, so yeah, we were just we were just lucky that, that I, I knew him for as long as I did. Um, he just jumped at the opportunity once we told him the story, the post-apocalyptic story, which was uh, how did you describe it? Road Warrior meets Universal Monsters. Yeah, classic. Yeah, kind of. Um, so basically, they're, these are post-apocalyptic versions of all the classic monsters: the uh, werewolves, vampires, um, Gilman, and. Uh, Frankenstein. Sorry. All the classic. Frankenstein. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lapse there. Sorry. Well, and continuing on with Steve, I mean, the, another book that he's collaborated with you on, Phil, is uh, Monster World. Yeah. By the way, I just want to be really clear. Like, I, I did not write uh, uh, Gunsuits or uh, Born Home or Broken Moon. They they were ideas of mine. They were kind of short form. And these writers, uh, Paul Tobin and of course Steve Nelson, they just they blew my socks off. I'm like, hey, what about this, you know, idea? And they went in and they created a whole world. So, but but the the story that I did write, co-write with Steve uh, Niles, was uh, Monster World. So yeah. that, that that is my yeah. And so where did Monster World come from as well? I mean, like, you, there's obviously the theme, monsters, darkness. Like it was really cool. And but with Monster World, there was a little twist with the noir sense of it. So well, well you know, I as much as I love. Uh, Horror and science fiction. I love noir. 
I just, I mean, I remember growing up when I was, you know, six or seven, and I'd be, um, I'd be staying home from school, and you know, you'd, you'd see all the noir stuff that they would, you know, play um, on UPN or whatever the, the Channel Forty Four or whatnot, um, before prior to cable, and. Um, I just, I, I love noir film, I love Casablanca, and I thought to myself, well, what if Humphrey Bogart had to go chase monsters? And so, um, you know, so I was thinking about that, and then I thought to myself, like, you, you know, some of the makeup that Jack Pierce did was so groundbreaking and so realistic, and it just came, literally came out of nowhere. It, it was, you know, you had a bunch of silent films with kind of like, you know, I guess you call it white face or whatever. Um, <laughs> And then it went to this incredible, uh, you know, uh, prosthetics and, and you know, uh, and just, just the designs that you would do. And, and so I thought to myself, well, what, what if it wasn't technology? What if it was studios got so desperate? Because, you know, the history of Universal uh, Studios is they were about to go bankrupt um, at, at uh, right when World War II was starting uh, in Germany. And so, um, you know, they were desperate to go from the silent, gigantic ballet and opera sequences to, to something that people wanted, uh, the, the common people wanted. So um, uh, Carl Lemley Jr. convinced his uh, uncle to start showing horror films, which was considered very lowbrow at the time. And so Dracula 1931 uh, was the first, the very first talkie horror film. So I, you know, I thought to myself, well, what if they, what if makeup test after makeup test, they couldn't make this right, what would they do? Well, these people are from old Europe, so maybe they went back and conjured, you know, got a sorcerer. So, um, so you know, anyways, it's my, my sick mind just kind of goes to places. <laughs> so, like, you weren't at your office late one night, and a, a dame and a rat walked in, and you knew where she was trouble right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happens every day, yeah. Well, uh, I would be amiss to uh, not mention another one of our fantastic titles, Project Nemesis, which is based on the uh, science fiction um, novels from Jeremy Robinson, and uh, the illustrator for a lot of those, um, like, like one pages or whatnot, was always Matt Frank. They have a good relationship, and so when they actually were able to come in together and collaborate on this title, like, what was what was that like, uh, Holly? Like going taking a property already established and then adapting it. Yeah, well, it was super cool um, because we had already we interviewed Jeremy Robinson several times in Famous Monsters magazine because he he, he has these great series where. Um, there are novels about kaiju. Um, essentially, he's taking the Japanese kaiju genre and um, telling crazy action adventure political stories with them. And um, one of his uh, best series, um, as, as he mentioned, the great artist Matt Frank, who uh, illustrates Godzilla for IDW, had done a bunch of character designs for Nemesis already, just you know, off the cuff because he wanted to. And so. Um, we, uh, Jeremy actually went in and adapted his own novel to comic books to a six-issue series, and uh, he did a great job. For I mean, for somebody who's never written a comic book, I mean, it seems he, he's totally a pro at it. And um, yeah, so it was just I guess serendipity. And, and then we, we got Bob Eggleton to do the uh, to do the variant covers, and Bob Eggleton is one of our oldest um, coverers for the magazine. Again, the magazine. We don't we don't mean age wise. We mean like. Like the time is yeah. Although he might be, I don't know. That's what I meant. <laughs> but yeah, he's been doing he's been doing Godzilla and uh, Cthulhu covers for us for a long time. So we were like, why why doesn't he just do this original kaiju story? And he's turned in fantastic 
wearing a cover sport. We have some of the original Eggletons like hanging up around the office, and they're just gorgeous to look at. Like you just walk in, and you're like, oh yeah, Bob Eggleton, you know, just hanging on the wall there. Well, what makes Project Nemesis so cool is that it's not just a Godzilla story; it's also a genetic engineering story um, in a lot of ways. So it's like a, this government conspiracy involving. Um, the DNA of a murdered little girl and the DNA of a monster that they found. And the, that, that becomes... Yeah, an ancient uh, monster they, they found on the uh, ice. Alaska, yeah. yeah. And so, um, so they, you know, it's kind of an X-File means Godzilla. Yeah, it's America's Godzilla. Like, we've been needing our own kaiju. We've been borrowing it from Japan for far too long and doing horrible things to it. So we need our own to really like, shine through. And I think Nemesis... Goddess of Vengeance is definitely right with the pick and freeze. So. Anyway, moving on to the future of our comics, uh, specifically uh, two gentlemen on the far end of the table here, Killbots. Can I gush about how much I love this comic? Yes. Uh, every time I love this comic. Every time Nathan's pages come into the office, our jaws are on the floor. We just love it so freaking much. And this is coming out uh, April twentieth, so it's right around the corner here. Um, and so I want to talk to. Tom and Nathan now. How did this whole thing start for you guys? Tom, uh, let's start with you. Did you just like, were you, like, first of all, what's your background? And then how did you get inspired to write, like, this comic in particular? Uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've been a writer since, since forever, you know, since I was a little kid. I had an aptitude for it, you know. Um, uh, later on in high school, I got my nice pile of rejection letters. I don't know if anybody remembers the, the writer's market. The, the, oh, it's yeah. about four times the size of the Bible. The brick, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I acquired all my uh, my good old-fashioned rejection letters when I was, like, in high school and stuff like that, you know. And every once in a while, when I grew into adulthood, I'd get my acceptance letter, you know. And that was, uh, so, that was... Kind of my backstory. And I, yeah, I did the good uh, Irish Catholic thing. Joined the military immediately after uh, after leaving high school. Um, so let's let's skip the middle. This doesn't really pertain. But um, so you fast forward, and I had kind of the the Hunter S. Thompson mentality that everything will just be fine as long as I can get to California. So I land in California. Um, so when in Rome, you know, screenplay format, that's what you do. You're in Hollywood and, uh, you know, it's no longer short story novel format. I still have a, you know, a good stereotype. I've got a good unfinished novel sitting in a drawer someplace. So uh, I work and founded a company called Siglock Military Tactical, which is a military tactical firm for film and television. So. Um, myself and Max Block formed this, and it's the greatest Peter Pan job in the world. I have fake firefights for a living. You know, I chased Jack Bauer around for years and could never catch him, could never get close to the guy. But that led to me as a writer working on a lot of small independent films. Um, and uh, one of which I wrote was uh, a film called Project 12. Um, which centered around a lot of conspiracy theories in Area 51 and Majestic 12 Project and anything else I could hodgepodge into it. So we were all sitting around, oh, Brian Boone, good gifted actor over there, he worked on that film. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, we were shopping around a little bit and there was a film festival in Roswell, New Mexico. Um, and we figured 
If we can get this into the Roswell Film Festival and it passes muster there, we're okay. We're going to be just fine because they're going to tear it apart. And that film festival was put on by Famous Monsters of Film. And that's where I met Phil. Um, and, you know, we had a, yeah, we just, we, we, we hit it off the bat right out of the gate. So, um, that actually, uh, Project 12 actually won that film festival. Um, I couldn't believe it. I was like, yes! But, um, so fast forward a little bit more, and they start doing the comic book imprint. Um, and of course, Phil and I have been friends for years at this point, and of course I want to work on it. Hey, hey Phil, how's it going over there with the comics? You know, I have the new, do you need any new titles? <laughs> and of course, yeah, sooner or later, he caved and he asked me for it. And uh, as it turns out, he liked it. Uh, he asked me for the first four issues first. And, um, yeah, I remember when it came in, because it came in with a bunch of kind of other mediocre pitches, and then I just, I read the first couple of issues, and I was like, what is this? It's awesome. We're doing it. Well, it, it, uh, it's interesting, because when, when he first sent it to me, I'm like, oh my god, my friend's pitching a story. I, I, got, <laughs> I got pitches coming left and right, and I, I actually didn't look at it. You, Could you please look at it? I'm like, I, I, okay. And then you, can you please look at it? I'm like, you sure. Then I started avoiding him when he'd invite me to dinner. <laughs> Would you come to dinner? I'm like, I'm not busy because, because you get like, you feel awkward because like I should really look read this because he's my friend. And I finally did. I'm like, holy crap! I I send it over to Holly and 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 uh, she she was amazed at the, at the development. It's, it's a very um, in an elevator pitch. It doesn't sound as unique, but when you actually read the script, it is very unique. Um, anyways, so this... Okay, so the title is Kill Box, so Disney passed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I pretty much, I lifted that title, it's uh, military vernacular, I picked it up, it's, you know, anything from two feet by two feet is your highest level of kills to five miles, the military use, and they refer to it as Kill Box. And it's just a box that's superimposed over any place in the world. And it's, uh, in this case, it's two miles it's, by it's, two. It's a map grid, right? It's a map grid, yeah, yes. Like you call it the coordinates, and it's like kill Yeah, Talk. but if you go down to the table size as well, and yeah, NATO. But. So it's superimposed over Los Angeles in this case. Um, and a lot of it was actually inspired by uh, reality shows. Because you start watching these reality shows and you know, Survivor and whatnot, and it occurred to me it's sooner or later the reality shows are going to be these five contestants are going to enter this box and they're going to kill each other. And I and I just said, well, what if that's underground and it's a massive gambling armor and that's actually happening? Now, if that story broke in the news tomorrow. I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked to find out that people, because people would tune in, people would be falling off sick to watch this online. And I can't make it to work today, you know, went live today, the site. So, I mean, and that's the, that, that's the smaller story inside the bigger story, is the contestants, and they are actually competing for money to kill each other, all, along with all the regular, everyday people that are wandering around Los Angeles. So, um... 
So you just walk into work and a firefight breaks out to the left and the right of you, and you have no idea that these people are contestants in an overall game. Um, this is why I hate Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the, the smaller story. But I mentioned earlier that I worked with a lot of small independent films, and one great thing about working on comics and graphic novels is you don't have to worry about budget anymore. You know, like when you're writing for a small independent film company, you have to make sure it's like in one room with two people. And let's keep this cheap, you know. But hopefully uh, in the Motel 6. Yes. That's $34. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and Phil was one that pointed it out to me. He's like, this is a different universe than that. You can make it, and, and you better make it. Yeah, yeah, I got some product. He was like, it's got to be a bigger universe. Make it bigger, you know? So I started with the basics, you know, the Illuminati and the secret society stuff. And from there, it actually grew considerably larger to our entire existence is actually a Petri dish and we're being experimented on by people from, or beings, I guess you would call them, from the dark matter portion of our universe. And it's, it's, it. There is a, uh, a huge uh, uh, Phil Dickian, uh, Phil K. Dickian type of uh, flavor to the, to the story. I, mean, I, I know that. I don't, yeah. think thinking, I don't think you were thinking about that, but it's it's very kind of uh, deep down the rabbit hole kind of stuff. So, so um, yeah. So the great thing about well, uh, the great thing about like dark matter, if you ask the leading quantum physicist in the world what's dark matter, the answer is I don't know. So it's it's just candy for a writer. It's like, we know it exists, it's out there, and we don't know what it is. So I can just invent it as I go along. And, uh, you know, and then I started getting pages from this guy. Oh my God, this guy can draw. I couldn't believe it. I was just pretty amazed and blown away. And, and he was homeless. Like, I found him. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that relationship happen, though? Because, yeah, I mean, you, you, it's nice to not have to worry about a budget going into the comics. So how did Nathan come into the picture? But Nathan came in through Holly. Right. Yeah, me and Nathan. I uh, met Holly at uh, San Diego Comic-Con uh, 2014. Something, something like that, yeah. And uh, she saw something in my art that she picked, sparked her interest, and so she wanted to do a project down the line. She said, give me some time to line up a project for you, and uh, we, you know, one thing led to another, and, you know, I got on the phone with Phil one day, and he started running down the list of stories uh, that he had available, and then he got to Killbox, and I uh, started giving me like, a quick pitch on it, and I was like, that one, I want that one, I was like, give me, I want that story so bad, so, uh, you know, he gave me that, and I got this first script, and I was like, wait, that's 20 pages. You got all of that story in 20 pages. That's insane. Like that's insane. Because I'm I'm a huge comic reader. So I mean, every Wednesday I'm at the shop buying way too many. Um, and I read the script and I'm like, that's 20 pages. That's insane. That's the most in depth I've ever read. You know, in depth story I've ever read. So uh, from there, I just you know just bit hard on it and started penciling and inking and uh, just creating this, uh, this wonderful book. It's amazing because Nathan's art brings such a different element into the story. Like when you first read the script by itself, it's it's very urban and very hard hitting, and, and there's a lot of like very violent, very very violent. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple of pages up right now. Uh, well, which is interesting because when when Holly said 
Take a look at this guy's art. It's really great. It was a Western story. And I'm like, it's good. Like, I, I, I was confused because I'm looking at it going, it's incredibly good art. I mean, clearly he's one of the most, I mean, and I, I thought to myself, he's going to blow up and I need to trick him into making as many books as possible and telling him how bad he is. <laughs> but it didn't work. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but then he said, so said, can you do this? I didn't even have anything in mind. I just thought, you know, kind of maybe more conventional artwork. And he brings me this urban graffiti style where, like, arms are going in from one panel to another, and, and, and he's juxtaposing, you know, one contestant versus another. And it looks like they're looking at each other, but they're totally two different. I mean, it, it, there was a lot of complications to taking a, a very dense story and turning it into a single panel or two panels to explain you know, this bad man's writing. So uh, when it started coming in, I was, I was just blown away. I, I'm, I'm looking at it going, I, I, don't, I don't know if I could ever replace this. Every time David <laughs> sent us a page, we would all gather around my giant monitor in the office and bring it up from the bin. Because <laughs> every, every new page is just incredible. I, is it, he has a, a crazy, interesting way of drawing anatomy that I don't think anybody else... He, he literally finds, he, he draws a beautiful woman and finds the most imperfect and most uncomplimentary natural uh, pose. And it's extremely, I mean, again, you guys can make up your own mind, but it's incredibly endearing. It's like, this is a violent film, but what you get is these are people. Like, these are, uh, by the way, the story that what, what Tom forgot to tell was that it's in the near future. and. Literally, social services have broken down. It's not that the world has ended, but the middle class doesn't exist, and the everybody's you know you got the very very kind of like today, right? Very very wealthy, and then the rest of us, and there are no there is no Obamacare. There's nothing, and so when the reason people enter the kill box is because they're desperate, they're incredibly desperate, and, and this is what they feed off of, and so. To, to create that sort of, um, like, real people wanting to do these, or not wanting to do these terrible things, but you know, being kind of forced to, um, I, I, just, I just think it really came through well in the, um, in the great watch. So, I got a question for Holly and Phil. What made you guys decide to release this black and white, as opposed to hiring a colorist? Uh, it was really, it was a really easy decision for me. And we did go back and forth about it a lot because we, we talked to a lot of people, and, and, and it's, in the comics industry, it's weird. You know, people will tell you, oh, black and white doesn't sell, um, even though The Walking Dead is a black and white. But but I think to a lot of mainstream superhero fans, they're just used to seeing those crazy bright colors. But as soon as as soon as we got pages from Nathan, I we we tr we tried. Like I think we had a couple of color tests. And they just, they just, they covered up so, so much of what make, makes Nathan's art so well, good. Not, not only that, it's a dirty world. Yeah. And, and the minute you add color to it, it made you, I don't want to say happy, but a little more excited, a little more awake, and, and it just didn't work. I and mean, we, we were using some of the best colors we know, and they were bringing it in, and, and I mean, including Nathan's watercolor. And we're just looking at it, but it just doesn't work yeah. as well, I should say. Are we going to have a little uh, a girl in a little red coat scene, like at all, at, at any point during the, uh... Okay, never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, it was Schindler's List. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're tired, I'll go let it pass. It's all good. Even if I was completely awake, I would. <laughs>
So, um, so that's Killbox. Again, it's going to be coming out April 20th. Uh, so check your local comic book store. And there's a variant cover by Derek Robertson as well. So it's my favorite book we're doing. I can't, I can't express much as much how much I love Killbox. Like I just, it's, I it, it. it's prior to even it being released. Um, there was there was a uh, pre discussion about Killbox uh, recently, and that caught a ton of um, interest from producers and discussion. Yeah. We're not cowboys and We're not trying to create something to, to sell in Hollywood. But it's always a huge compliment when producers look at it and say, we should want to make this into something. It has been uh, it has been our most active title, and it hasn't even been released yet. So. I know, yeah, we're like this excited for it. You can only imagine us at the office when it does get released. We're just going to be throwing a big party, and you're all invited. Hey, <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, one of our uh, comics, uh, newest comics that came out last week, was Erwin Allen's Lost in Space: The Lost Adventures. Now, if you're not familiar with this, well, the series was canceled in season three. There were some unproduced teleplays by Terry Wilbur that were written up, and uh, the Irwin Allen State uh, found them, and then we had a discussion. I'll let Phil tell the story, but then Lost in Space came into being, and uh, it's out now. Um, Phil, let, yeah, tell us a little bit about how, how uh, Kevin Burns got to be. So I know Kevin Burns, who uh, is a prolific uh, uh, television producer, he's done. Um, uh, Ancient Aliens, he's done Girls Next Door, he does uh, Holly's World, he does um, uh, 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 any biography that was, that was his baby. Um, so he's, he's very well established. Um, he is a huge famous Monsters fan, and he's a monster fan. So he, um, he, so, and, and he loved Lost in Space, and so his relationship with Erwin Allen uh, prior to his passing um, Gave him, um, so Erwin Allen like, basically asked him to manage the, the uh, IP. So uh, for the longest time, it just kind of sat there as far as our comic book is concerned, because he was looking for, uh, I guess, the right publisher. He didn't want to just kind of put it into a mill and have no control over it. So um, we had been talking about uh, doing Lost in Space as the first launch for. A few years, and then um, he called me. You know, as we we're going through our, our titles, um, he called me and he said, "Are you still interested in doing uh, LIS?" And I said, "Absolutely." And he said, "Guess what I've got? I've got the two scripts uh, teleplays that were never uh, produced um, because the show was canceled by Carrie Wilbur, who did Spacey, uh, who introduced Khan into uh, Star Trek lore." And I read it, and, and they were fantastic. So um, it was a no-brainer. We took it on, and, um, and, and so there it is. <laughs> I mean, there isn't much to say. It's, I didn't write it. Tom didn't write it. It was already written, but it was adapted by uh, Holly um, very, very well. Because you know, teleplays are—I guess—they're a little easier than, than screenplays to adapt, but because it's kind of done in that same sort of episodic. Um, but you know, you, you, the 22 pages gives you 20 minutes. It's a third of a 60 or 40 
seven and a half minute script. So um, to find out where the break is and to you know give the kind of suspense, uh, yeah, it wasn't the easiest job. Uh,
what they've become because of Forey's uh, influence. And, and by the way, the um, it will be we will be releasing it at um, AlienCon. What's AlienCon? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's it, there's no uh, uh, there's no press release yet, but we are doing a convention um, in October, uh, Halloween weekend, um, to celebrate. Science fiction. Yeah, 100 centennials. So that'll be in the Bay Area, so if you guys live up there, congratulations, this is in your own backyard. If you don't live up there, it's all caravan together. Five and a half hours drive. Yes. There are hotel rooms. And so, yeah, as you can see here, uh, these are the list of contributors we have so far Kirk Hammett, uh, Henry Fox, John Five, Dana Dio, Matt Frank, uh, Bob Eckleton, just to name a few. I mean, uh, Who's your favorite that you guys keep getting all excited for? Uh, Richard, uh, Richard Matheson's uh, son, Richard Christian Matheson, is giving us a story, an illustrated story. We're so, excited about Yeah, we're all excited about that. Absolutely. So, now that we're at the end portion of our panel, we want to show and share with you guys some exclusive, exciting announcements coming soon from American Anthem Press. So, first of all, Born a Home Volume 1 by Paul Tobin and uh, Jeff Johnson will be available as a trade paperback collecting all four issues. And that's going to hit the stands May 4th, uh, so a little later. Uh, this, yeah, this year, just two months away. I can't do math right now. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you heard about us talking about it earlier. Uh, it'll be available. It's going to be great. It's a really cool science fiction book, especially if you like Doctor Who. I like to, I like to describe uh, Born Home to People as a, as a really good Doctor Who episode. <laughs> Lots of dark milk. Read on, find out what that is. Uh, we also have Monster World number four uh, coming out. And as you can see here, this is just a black and white page on the right-hand side of uh, Peter Kowalski's art, and it's just mind-blowing. Again, like, we are so fortunate to be uh, a publishing company that has all these great artists out there. Every time they just email us a new page, we're just all like, do we have to go back to work? We can't just, like, stare at this for the rest of the day and just rule over how awesome and amazing it looks? So that'll be coming out. Yeah, the, the artist on Monster so. World is uh, Peter Kowalski, yeah. who is uh, also doing um, Joe Casey's Sex for Image, and he did some stuff for Dark Horse, and he's, he's just, he's a noir expert. Oh, yeah. And so his, his stuff is fantastic. Just a, no, yeah, the shadow of the shade. Uh, and that'll be out available um, April 27th. If you stop by our booth uh, 333, we actually have uh, Monster World 1, 2, and 3, both the regular covers by Kowalski, and then this fine artist, Nigel Sade, did the variant covers, and they all interlocked and make one big poster. And Nigel will actually be signing at our booth tomorrow from 1 to 2. So that's booth 333, and we'll have all the variants available, too. <laughs> little plug in the panel there. Uh, also upcoming, we have Project Nemesis number 5, and that'll be hitting stands also on April 20th. So Killbox and Project Nemesis number 5, it's, it's a good high for that day. And... We're, we're lots of explosions. Yeah, lots of explosions. Near the end, so people are, people are shooting at the monster, and the monsters, monsters raging back. No one is safe. She's on a rampage, and all the East Coast is pretty much screwed. Yeah. And then also from uh, Jeremy Robinson, we're adapting another one of his novels, Island 731, and he's co-writing that with King Gilmore, and then the art's going to be by Jeff Zornow, and that's actually uh, due out in May of 2016. And you're actually seeing the first, oh, I'm sorry, solicited thing. It's actually coming out in July. Um, so uh, this is an exclusive first look at the cover of uh, what the, uh, of issue one, as it were. It's not colored yet, obviously, but I mean, this is 
were pretty excited when we saw this in the audience. Sort of a kaiju version of the island of Dr. Moreau. Yes. <laughs> and, I mean, island of Dr. Moreau. Amazing issue elsewhere. And then, speaking of gun suits, gun suits is coming back. And not only is gun suits coming back, it's coming back in its own new series, written by uh, Philip Kim. It's actually a one-shot on Victoria. Maybe. Yeah, gun suits Alex is a one-shot. It will be more than something. Writing it, and then um, Dennis Calero will be illustrating it. And Dennis, yeah, Dennis did uh, uh, Marvel Noir. Uh, his, his color is yeah. What Gunsuit Alex is actually sort of an origin story. Um, it's it's a, it's an adaptation of the original short story that Phil had written about the um, interdimensional tentacle monsters and and their giant mechs. Um, and yeah, we've got we got Dennis to to do to illustrate. Yeah, yes, it's a, it's a one-shot. It's basically, I mean, we, go, we want to call it Gunsuits Zero, because it's sort of a zero issue. Like, this is where it all came from, and this is why things are the way they are in Gunsuits. Um, yeah, Dennis's art's just amazing, as you can see in these uh, images here. It's going to be a lot like this, the entire book. So, lots yeah. of just great kaiju and mech bites if you're a fan of that sort of thing. Which, I'm assuming some of you are, at least. So. And then, or, so, or, or you're just in here from the cold. <laughs> Which, hey, you know, welcome. It's warm in here. We're friendly. And then finally, um, our last announcement is Broken Moon Volume 2 is happening. And this is, we got Nat Jones back doing the art, doing the covers, and this is the cover of the issue one, this creepy gill creature here. And we are just so excited for this. Like, like, Matt Jones yeah. is a genius. He did, he did the first Dark of Broken Moon, and he really just made it what it is with his dark, you know, his, his crazy games and impressionism. Like, he has this incredible art style where, where if you look at it really close, it's just a bunch of chicken scratch. And then you, then you go back and you're like, wait a minute, no, it's, it's, it, it sort of makes all of this, it's like an impressionist painting that way. Um, and he just, he, just, he just blew it out of the water on the first arc, so we were so stoked to get him back for the second arc. As you can see, there's going to be a lot more like this. I mean, just the monster fights that were in the first volume available at Boot 333 were just astounding. <laughs> so, like, and, 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 and it's only going to get ramped up from here. So, And that does it for the panel. Thanks for tuning in. I promise our next episode will have much better quality because we'll actually be recording in a soundproof room. But if you miss the annoying laughter throughout, I can always hire some people to laugh in the back of the room, I guess. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're at AGP Monsters on both Twitter and Instagram, as well as Facebook.com slash AGP Monsters. And for all of our titles, news, and announcements, check out our website, AmericanGothicPress.com. And like I said at the top of the show, all of our titles, variants, and regular covers are available at CaptainCo.com, as well as tons of great t-shirts, merchandise, and famous monsters of Filmland magazines. Thanks for listening to this first episode, or I'm sorry, this Zero episode, and check back for episode one in a few weeks. I've been your host, Cameron. Now go read some comics! The American Gothic Press Podcast is copyright Movieland Classics, LLC. All rights reserved.